0: Am I on? I don't feel like I'm on. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, we started talking to you last week about the return of Jesus, and that this is not just pie in the sky by and by. It's not just a a spiritual or metaphorical return. There are some people who believe things like that. But it is, it, it is to be an actual physical return of Jesus, that when he comes back, he will come back bodily, um, physically. And um, my, my purpose um, with these messages is not to... It's not to scare you um, necessarily. It's not to get into prophecy and in timed events and figure out how everything is going to work out and how all the timing is going to come to pass. I'll, I'll be honest with you, my, uh, my feelings and my opinions about all of that have actually shifted a little bit over the years. So I haven't always had the same opinions about all of that. Those things, those ideas as far as timing, those are not uh, ideas that we can speak dogmatically about. They are not matters uh, that are core or essential to the Christian faith. But the thing that we can say for sure is that we know, according to God's word, that one day Jesus is going to come back. The scripture I would invite uh, you to take a look at, the same passage we read to you last week, Acts chapter 1 and verses 9 through 11. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he, that is Jesus, was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So we have the word of the angels that said Jesus will come back uh, the same way that he ascended to heaven. It'll be a physical uh, reappearing of Jesus. We also have, as we mentioned to you last week, the understanding that there were many prophecies, over 300 prophecies about the Messiah promising that he would one day come. And those were all fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And uh, I I won't take a lot of time uh, this morning, but to understand the uh, the odds of 300 uh, and some prophecies being fulfilled in one person, the odds of that happening are astronomical, so much so that it's practically impossible unless it's really meant to happen. And it all came to pass in Jesus Christ. Just as the Bible foretold, as a matter of as a matter of history, and we ought to look at the second return of Jesus, the second advent, uh, and say, you know, because all of these prophecies were fulfilled and Jesus came just as the prophets foretold, then I suppose we should be able to trust the Bible when it says that He's coming back again. He's coming back a second time. Amen. So. We ought to believe in it. The question, though, that I want to ask you again this morning is this. Do I live like I really believe Jesus is coming back? You know, when you really believe something, it will change the way that you live. When you really believe in it, we say that there are a lot of things that we believe in, but we don't act like. We believe in it. Uh, And by our faith, in fact, there are many people who are what some would call or have called practical atheists. In other words, they say they believe in God, but they live their life from day to day as if there is no God. And so while they may, with their words, proclaim or profess their belief, they don't practically live like it. So the question is, if I really believe that Jesus is coming back, then is there anything in my life, anything about my, my habits or the way I conduct myself, anything that I need to change in order for me to be living daily like I really believe that Jesus is coming back? Last week, we mentioned to you that uh, the, uh, of primary importance, I believe, would be if I really believe Jesus is coming back, I would want to be comfortable in his presence. I would really want to be comfortable in his presence. In other words, I would want to know that I had not rejected him as my Savior and Lord. I would want to have spent time in his presence, getting comfortable in his presence. Today, I, as I was uh, thinking about this throughout the past week, I uh, started thinking along the lines of stewardship, and that might seem like an odd uh, topic to introduce when we're talking about Jesus coming back, but really stewardship is, is very important. And as I think about the return of Jesus, that one day, and you know, for all of us, if Jesus tarries his coming, we'll go by way of the grave. One way or another, Jesus is coming for us. Um, but if we're still here and the eastern sky splits open and with the sound of a trumpet, the saints begin to rise out of their graves and ascend into the heavens to meet the Lord in the air and then we follow shortly thereafter which it sounds like it takes a while to explain, but the Bible says it's all going to happen like that very quickly. In fact, if I remember correctly, I believe it was Paul Harvey. I don't know. I've never confirmed that this was true, but I was told that Paul Harvey had a recording prepared with instructions ready that this was to be played in the event of the rapture taking place wouldn't surprise me with Paul Harvey. But, you know, here's, here's what I'm talking about, though. When I talk about Jesus coming back and being ready, uh, it's, it's the, the proverbial hand-in-the-cookie-jar or the, or the deer-in-the-headlights look. Some of you as children, you will remember what this is like, some of you it's been quite a while, but some of you not so long, and you know what it's like to be caught in the middle of something that you know you're not supposed to be doing, and you turn and look to see the face of mom or dad or teacher or authority figure or whoever it is, and you are caught red-handed in the middle do you know you know how uncomfortable that is and how it's whoops (laughs) well imagine that with jesus coming back i remember hearing francis chan some of you may have heard him speak he's a radio preacher tv preacher um, and I remember him telling a story about his grandmother. And he said that he and his family had taken his grandmother to see a, a play, um, Not a, not a movie on a screen, but a, where they're actually actors on stage and they're acting out whatever play. And um, he said that he thought, you know, there was nothing, Uh, objectionable about it nothing uh, you know morally wrong you know nice story whatever all of those things this is a a good man a minister of the gospel and uh, he said at intermission about halfway through he asked his grandmother uh, how was she enjoying the play and she said well not very much and he said, well, why? And she said, well, I'm just not sure that this is something I would be comfortable doing if Jesus came back right now. Now, you can take that for what it's worth. You know, we all have different levels of, of sensitivity in our conscience, and, uh, and depending on how we grew up and how we were raised, some of you are, are thinking in your heads, what in the world is wrong with seeing a play and others of you are thinking well yeah i can really understand why she felt that way and so there's a there's a spectrum there just what i'm saying is jesus is coming back and there will not be any advance notice when he does and i want to live from day to day knowing that i'm i'm comfortable with that that the teacher at any time could walk through the door and I'm not blowing a spitball across the classroom, so to speak. That kind of thing. You know what I mean? If I live like I really believe Jesus is coming back, I will want to make sure I am not wasteful. I will want to make sure I am not wasteful. What I'm talking about is stewardship. There are three primary areas and any, any preacher worth salt has had a sermon about stewardship, and many of them have used these three alliterated uh, items. They're three areas, our time, our treasure, and our talents. First off, I, when Jesus comes back, I will not want to be wasting time. I will not want to be wasting time. Now, someone has written this, Procrastination is my sin. It brings me naught but sorrow. I know that I should stop it. In fact, I will. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah. The psalmist in Psalm 90 verse 12 said, Teach us to number our days so that we may have a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 16, the Apostle Paul writes that we ought to walk carefully as wise, not as unwise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now, most of you in your Bibles perhaps uh, find that your Bibles will say something like making the best use of the time. Um, That is an unfortunate translation. Of the original in that verse because the idea really is redeeming the time or buying back the time and and not letting it pass by without making good use of it one other passage that I would like to mention to you in reference to time is from Romans chapter 13 and this is probably the most relevant to this message Romans chapter 13 And verse 11 says, Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Make no provision for the flesh. You know, this passage, the Apostle Paul is speaking in context about the way we live out the law. And he begins chapter 13 by talking about the governing authorities. In other words, we keep the law because it's the law and there are authorities that uh, are there with the purpose of making sure that we keep the law. If you break uh, the traffic laws, you'll get a ticket and have to pay a fine, things of that nature. Um, Then he moves on from us keeping the law simply because it's the law to us keeping the law because of love in verse 8 he says oh no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law for the commandments you shall not commit adultery you shall not murder you shall not steal and so on and so forth Um, love verse 10 he says love does no wrong to a neighbor therefore love is the fulfilling of the law Then after that, he moves into that verse that talks about awaking from sleep, for our salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. What does he mean by that? Our salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. He's talking about the time when our salvation is complete. That is the time when Jesus comes back and we stand before him or whether it be that we go by the way of the rapture when Jesus comes back, or whether we go by way of the grave. Either way, that is the end of our probationary period. You see, right now, we live in an age of grace, a probationary period, while we're on this earth, in our physical bodies. And that means as long as we're in that state, we have now, if, if in the legal system they'll talk about, um, uh, you know, getting out, uh, getting early release for good behavior, things like that, and you can earn uh, probation. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is, right now, God has given us freedom to choose whether we're going to serve Him or whether we're going to serve ourselves, whether we're going to follow Him or reject Him, and. We have freedom to do that now, but it's only temporary. The time will come when that ends and we no longer have a choice. We make our choice while we're in this body and while we have breath in our lungs. If Jesus comes back or if we, if our life ends, then our period, our probationary period where we have the freedom to choose is gone. At that point, we've made our choice and there's no more opportunity to change our minds. What are some priorities for using time? Priorities for using time. Now, people, this is difficult because it's going to vary from person to person. And there are going to be some areas where You may be able to use your time uh, with a clear conscience and somebody else may look at that and say, look at how they're wasting time. There may be some areas uh, of my life that you might look at and say, I cannot believe pastor is doing that with his time. So just understand, it's not going to be universal for everybody, but there are some things that I think will be. One thing is time alone with Jesus. Time alone with Jesus is never wasted time. And as we read through the Gospels, we read periodically how Jesus regularly went away to solitary places. He would get up early in the morning and go off somewhere in the wilderness or in the desert, the Bible says, to be by himself and to commune with his heavenly Father. And friends, if Jesus Christ needed to do that, then how much more do you and I need to? I will want to make sure that I spend time with my family. Time with my family. I would not want to think about, and I, I understand there, there are many ways that we could take this, and, and some will say, oh, yes, Pastor, that is, that is probably some of the most important time that we could spend, spending time with our family. And yes, I, I agree, just being together, being with each other. But I I think beyond that is what have we done in the time that we had with family or perhaps friends. That's the third one. And this is what I'm saying. Not just that I've spent time with family and friends, but what have I done while I was with them? I would not want to think about all the time that I've spent with family and friends and find out later that there were family and friends that I spent time with, and they were unprepared for Jesus to come back, and I never said anything to help them find the way. What a what a tragedy. I, I think now, and I honestly have to ask God's forgiveness of... It seems people that I work with, I'll tell you, friends, it was to great relief that I had a, a health crisis before we moved out to Oklahoma. Um, and, I'll, and I'll tell you why. That health crisis took me to the hospital where I had been an employee for it was seven years at that time. I would had two different periods of employment, five years the first period and then about seven years the next period of time. And it was through that process that I found out what people thought about me, about my life. And it was somewhat relieving, and I'm not saying this to, to pump myself up. I'm saying this just to let you know that looking back, I don't, I, I'm uncomfortable at times at how much time I spent with coworkers without saying anything about my faith without trying to share the gospel and my heart is convicted and my heart is troubled by that have i invited them to church or if i'm not comfortable inviting them to church do they do they know about the gospel or do they even know that i'm a person of faith you know, the very minimum for our witness to others, our testimony to others, ought to be that they at least know that we are a person of faith. You know, it doesn't take a lot in some cases to be a witness for Jesus. And I'm not, I don't want to snow anybody under or, you know, make you lose or give up your faith. But I think the very minimum ought to be, not, if we're not, you know, if we're not giving a, a tract or if we're not, uh, as we have opportunity, actually speaking and sharing the gospel message, if we're not doing that, the minimum ought to be that they at least know that I'm a Christian. Hey, be, watch your, be careful of your language. So and so's a Christian. Don't talk don't tell that dirty story, so-and-so is a Christian. That's probably enough time on talking about time. <laughs> I when Jesus comes back, will want to know that I'm not wasting time. I will also want to know that I'm not wasting my treasure. I'm not wasting my treasure. Some of that's small. Um, and I'm sorry, it's not supposed to be all up there at the same time. Um, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus tells the story, no, wait a minute, I'm getting ahead of myself. Forgive me. Matthew chapter 19, this is just following the the interaction that Jesus had with the rich young ruler. You remember that story? The man came to Jesus and said, Jesus, teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, well, what are the commandments? How do you understand them? And they reviewed the commandments, and and the young man said, I'm sure feeling quite good about himself. Oh, all of these I've kept from my youth up. I've kept since I was a young man. I've kept all the commandments. I'm in good shape. And then Jesus said, one thing you lack. Go and sell all that you have and give the proceeds to the poor and then come back and follow me. Now, Jesus doesn't tell everybody to sell all their possessions and give it to the poor. He did to that man, though, because that man had great wealth, and his wealth was his God. It was the one thing keeping him from truly following Jesus. And after all of this took place, when the young man heard this, this is verse 22 of Matthew 19, it says, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He had great wealth. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. You see, there are about 2,350 verses about money in the Bible. 2,350. That's twice as many as faith and prayer combined. Jesus said more about money than he said about heaven and hell. Someone has gone to the work of doing the computations and figured out that 15% of Jesus' recorded words are about money. 15% may not sound like a very large number, but when you think about all the many topics that the Messiah, God in the flesh, could have talked about, Fifteen percent is a high number. You see, there is a powerful connection between our true spiritual condition and our attitude and actions concerning money. our, Our material wealth and possessions. In fact, when we study the New Testament church in the book of Acts and also the writings of the Apostle Paul, one of the biggest ways that we see the Spirit-filled church living out their faith is through the handling of their money and possessions. And Jesus himself said in the Sermon on the Mount for us not to lay up our treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves can break through and steal, but to rather lay up our treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What are some priorities for using our treasure? Dr. Carl Mininger once asked a very wealthy patient, What on earth are you going to do with all of that money? To which the patient replied reluctantly, Well, just worry about it, I suppose. Dr. Mininger went on and said, Do you get much pleasure out of worrying about your money? And the patient replied, no, but I get so much terror when I think of giving some of it to somebody else. Priorities for using our our treasure. Now, I shouldn't have to mention this, but just in passing, honesty and and paying our bills, that ought to be kind of right up there at the top of the list. I heard a story about a dentist who visited a church and uh, on the way out told the pastor, Pastor, I will not be coming back to your church. And the pastor wanted to know why. And the dentist said, well, I saw one of your members singing praises to God through teeth that they have not paid for. Honesty and paying our bills ought to be at the top of the list. Very next to that ought to be our tithe. Uh, depending on what church circles you've been exposed to, there's there's a little bit of debate. There's never been any debate in my family or in my church about this. But I understand having been exposed to other denominations and other churches you know there's some people that tithing is not a that's an old testament concept and that's not something that the new testament requires of us well that's not the way i read the new testament but you know the the religious people the pharisees they were very careful about their tithing and jesus rebuked them on one occasion and said you pharisees you hypocrites you pay tithe of the dill and the mint and the cumin, the little, in other words, the little herbs that they grow in their gardens. You're so careful to pay tithes on those little things, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. And then Jesus went on to say, These ought ye to have done, and not to have left the others undone. So what was he saying? He wasn't saying... They didn't have to pay their tithes. He was saying, you ought to pay attention to these bigger matters and make them priority, but don't neglect your tithe either. When Jesus comes back, I will want to know that I'm paid up on my tithe. I will want to know that I have been generous in my support of advancing God's kingdom. This is laying up our treasures in heaven. I will want to know that I have been generous in my support of the needy. And I know we've got to be careful with this, especially in the day and age that we live in. There are a lot of scammers and and people that would take your money and you don't know what they're going to spend it on. You don't know what they're going to do with it. But could I just recommend something to you? if you ever see someone asking for help and you feel within you that urge or that impulse that maybe you ought to, could I encourage you to err on the side of mercy and grace? Even if they do go out and spend it for something that they should not, that's not your responsibility, that's theirs your responsibility, my responsibility is to follow the direction that we receive from the Holy Spirit. Be careful yes, but be generous and incidentally there are there are many uh, legitimate ways. Th- my wife and I can help you if you are interested. There are many legitimate ways that you can channel your your funds and your resources to be able to help people who are in need in a way that is truly helpful. When Jesus comes back, I will want to know that I have not been wasteful with the treasure, the money that he has placed under my care. I will also want to know that I have not wasted my talents, I have not wasted my talents. Now, when we speak about talents in this way, we are talking about each person's unique ability to contribute to the world in which they live. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a story of the talents, and I'll try to go through it quickly. And, and in this story, it's actually money. Uh, Verse 14, he says, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded and made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. In other words, they took what they had been given and they did something with it and multiplied it, made it more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. And now after a long time, verse 19, uh, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master." Likewise, the one who had been given two talents, the same thing happened with him. And his master said, well done, good and faithful servant. Then verse 24, he also had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I know you, or I knew you to be a hard man. That was his first mistake. He did not truly understand the character of his master. Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. Wasting talents. And the question might be, well, what if I don't have any? Meaning, what if I don't have any unique ability with which to bless the world? Or If that's the way you feel, you need to think more broadly about your talents. Because everybody has something. Everybody has something that they can do. And there will be a proportionate accountability when Jesus comes back. You're not going to be held accountable for five talents if all you have is one. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about what your neighbor does or what the person sitting across the the aisle from you does. And and you look and you may think to yourself, oh, so-and-so, they're so gifted, they're so talented. And, And look at everything they do for Jesus and for the church and for the kingdom. Oh, I could never be like them. Probably not. Good thing. God made us all different for a reason. But you see, you do have something. Find what you can do. And then do it for Jesus. Do it for his glory, for his kingdom's sake. Believe me, friends, you will not want to have Jesus to come back and realize that you have been wasting your abilities. You've been wasting your talents. You have not been putting them to use for Jesus. I know Brother Henry will probably relate to this, but one of the things that I've I've talked to to my wife and to my kids about at times is I I, I grieve over some of the the musicians that I hear about and I sometimes see and 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 randomly may encounter some of their some of their music out in, in the world because they're so extremely amazingly talented. Many of them are so gifted, and yet they're wasting it on meaningless entertainment. I'm not saying, well, let me not go there. Uh, (laughs) I'm running out of time. What are some priorities for using our talents? Obviously, first of all, we ought to use them for God's glory Use them for God's glory. God has given you abilities. He's given you skills, whether you realize it or not. Find what your skills are. What can you do? What can I do? What am I good at? And, and if you can't think of anything, maybe all you're doing is thinking in terms of the, the church service setting broaden your horizon think about what you're good at doing at your place of employment or or what have you whatever you do and then take that and begin to use it for god's glory you see when we are called to follow jesus we're called to do what jesus would do if he were us I'm gonna mention a few things here and I don't feel picked on. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just I'm just gonna mention a few things because I, I trust you well enough that I think I can do this. Some of you are maintenance men. Some of you are 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 mechanics. Some of you work on computers. Some of you drive. And and the things that you do don't necessarily have any direct correlation to the church, per se. But if you're a mechanic, then you need to say, I'm going to be the kind of mechanic that Jesus would be if he were a mechanic. And whatever that vocation might be, Use that ability. Use it for God's glory. Use them for the edification of the church, for the upbuilding of the church. In Ephesians and also in Corinthians, Paul talks about gifts. Now, there is a difference between talents and spiritual gifts. I understand that. Yet, there is a principle that will apply to both. And that is that God gives us what he gives us so that we can use it, not for ourselves, but so that we can use it to benefit others others. In the context of the church, we are to use what he has given us in order to build up the church. In Ephesians, he says, so that we can all come to spiritual maturity. Do you know that if you withhold what you have, your gifts, your abilities, if you withhold from the church, there is most likely somebody in the church that is not maturing like they ought to because they need your gift meaning not they need to have your gift they need you to use your gift for their benefit use your talents use your gifts for the for the edification of the church and then use them to their full potential use them to their full potential i've i've encountered this idea that you know you don't want to you don't want to develop your skill or your talent too much because then you might be in danger of getting prideful. You know, you don't want to p- be you don't want to play too fancy on your instrument. You don't want to sing too well when you sing because that might be pride. Uh, yeah, there's a danger of that, sure. That we can be promoting self but I also believe whatever we do, we ought to do the very best we can do and do it for God's glory. Develop that gift. Develop that talent. Whatever instrument or, or whatever uh, ability you have, learn how to do it. Keep up with it. If it's a, if it's a changing field, I have great sympathy for people uh, like uh, uh, computer mechanics. And, and doctors and nurses and others, because their technology is continually developing and continually advancing. And they have to, they worked hard to learn how to do what they do, then they have to continue working hard to keep up to pace with all the new technology. Now, let me see if I can wrap this up. The danger of this kind of preaching is that it can communicate the idea of a checklist mentality. And people, you know, some of you are taking notes, and and I I appreciate that. I hope you find it helpful. Um, But the danger of a checklist mentality is that we, you know, at the top of our list, we would have... You know, what do I need to do be so I'm ready when Jesus comes back? You know, okay, I need not, don't be wasteful with time, don't be wasteful with treasure, don't be wasteful with my talents, and I need to be comfortable in Jesus' presence, all these things, and we check, 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 check. Okay, I've done something in each one of these categories. I'm good now. I'm ready when Jesus comes back. That's not what I'm talking about. You see, we aren't in or out based on any of these factors alone. It's simply the idea that these factors reflect the condition of our hearts. There's nothing that we can do or not do outwardly as performance, as checklist, and say, okay, I've done all these things, I am all of these things, I, I fit the right category, I'm good. But all of those things that we would see on a checklist, the things that I've been talking to you about, they reflect what's truly in our hearts. And you see, friends, the person who loves is not stingy or reluctant with their time, their treasure, or their talent. And the Bible tells us that the ones that Jesus comes back for are those who love His appearing. It's, if it helps you, maybe you think of what it's like to be in love and to to have been separated from that one that you love for a period of time. And then you get to where, oh, you just, you can't wait to be reunited again. And you're longing and looking for that day when you can be reunited with your loved one. And our love for Jesus ought to be such that we love His appearing. We are ready for heaven. Sister Hembry was telling us a few weeks ago in prayer meeting about uh, Sister Bonnie, I think it was, and and uh, I'm not going to say an exact quote. I don't have an exact quote, but Sister Hembry was sharing how when she was having health problems and it looked like she was maybe getting close to death, she she was disappointed when she started to seem to get a little bit better because she thought she was going to get to go to heaven and be with Jesus. You, you don't get that by checking things off of a checklist. You only get that by falling in love with Jesus, giving him your heart. You may say, Pastor, I don't know how to do that. Simply come to Him. Just just come to Him. And He will help you. He will help you. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your kindness to us. Father, we know that You are coming back. And it is our heart's desire to be ready Father, these ideas, I hope, were communicated with the help of your Spirit. Not to give anybody a checklist and a standard to measure up to, but simply a a diagnostic to say, what's the condition of my heart? Do I love the appearing of the Lord Jesus? Am I going to be excited and full of anticipation about the thought that Jesus is coming back for me, for his bride? Or, or am I gonna, do I feel like the, the child caught with their hand in the cookie jar? Lord, we pray that you will speak to each one of us. Holy Spirit, would you do your office work? And then, Father, change our hearts. Shape our lives into the likeness of Jesus Christ.